When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Alex Kalanorkas, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to our latest episode, which is the latest accompaniment podcast to this week's Autosport Magazine. That this week includes a cover feature package dedicated to the 2021 British Grand Prix. Ahead of this weekend's race, we're going to be discussing the contrasting fortunes of Britain's three Formula One drivers so far this year, and speculate how well they might get on this weekend on home soil, and to do that I'm joined by two special guests. My first is my regular companion during these Autosport Accompaniment podcasts, it's Autosport's Chief Editor, Kevin Turner. How are you Kev? It's daylight, I don't know what's going on with doing a podcast during the day, I don't know how this works, so um, yeah, looking forward to, to being awake during a podcast, it's good. Absolutely, you're not on a press day for a change as well, so I imagine that'll make things fairly, a uh, little bit little bit less frazzled for you perhaps, but uh, call back to an earlier episode, but there we go. Anyway, um, next I'm delighted to introduce my second guest for this episode, it's former Formula 1 driver and 1992 Le Mans winner and world sports car champion, Derek Warwick. Derek, welcome to the Autosport Podcast, how are you doing? Thank you, Thank you very much, looking forward to what you two are going to ask me. <laughs> Good. Yes, I'm hoping my questions are up to scratch. Um, just to let the listeners know, we are recording two days before the track action kicks off at Silverstone for this year's British Grand Prix, which is actually one day later than scheduled because your humble host had somewhat of a fiasco moving house yesterday. But there we go. Let's put that firmly in the past. That I'm looking forward to that maybe coming up at, at certain points. But anyway, Derek, I, can I assume you'll be attending this weekend's event at Silverstone? I'm on the red eye at the seven o'clock tomorrow morning uh, going to Silverstone. Um, and spending the weekend there. I'm not going to be there for uh, race day. I will be there for the sprint race because my grandsons are both racing carts on Sunday here in uh, Jersey. So that's far more important than going to the British Grand Prix, as you can imagine. 
Speaking about that sprint qualifying or sprint qualifying race, as we're going to be insisting on uh, calling it on autosport.com and in the magazine, um, what, what do you make of that? What, what do, you, what do you think that's a, a good idea for Formula One, a good idea for Silverstone? What do you think the fans can expect as well? Uh, when I first heard it, I was a bit disappointed because I'm a bit old school and I, I like the normal format. But the more I think about it, from the fans' point of view and from our spectators um, over the weekend, magic. I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, I disagree with Lewis where he said this is going to be a boring race where everybody will hold position. I think from mid-grid back, um, people will be trying to make places up because, you know, you take someone like George, you know, he's going to qualify hopefully uh, into Q2. He will qualify 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th. Um, and the best place he can start for the feature race is 12, 13, 14, 15. So it's worth him taking maybe a bit of a risk um, because the worst case scenario is he'll start last. So um, I think we'll see some fireworks. I think we'll see some great racing. I think it's going to be interesting um, and great to see these guys actually running flat out in the race rather than conserving tyres, trying to conserve everything. They're going to be able to go flat out um for uh for the whole race well i want to get i want to gauge your reaction Derek, to what kev might say next about the decision to award pole position to the winner of the sprint race rather than qualifying on friday evening so kev why don't you explain as i know you did very well in autosport magazine and autosport.com plus what your objection is and then we'll see uh derek how you feel about it as well yeah, my, my column has triggered an email debate as well. It's in my inbox at the moment. It's going batters and forwards. It's quite interesting. But yeah, I, I'm really quite... I, I, I would agree with Derek. I think it's good to experiment and have have a, an extra race. I think that's a good idea. The, the, my objection is that the official pole position will now go to the person who wins the sprint qualifying race. Because to me, qualifying means... I think we all know what qualifying means, right? It's the fastest car-driver combination. You know, it's the it, qualifying kind of F1 or motorsport in its purest form, if you like. It's kind of, you know, driver and machine on the track who can do the quickest job. So I think looking through the history books, I know we've had different qualifying formats, but by and large, it has been, you know, who's the fastest on that day? They start at the front. Uh and yeah, that record means something, you know, when, when Senna had 65 poles and then Michael's catching up to it and now Lewis is taking it to 100, that's a meaningful statistic. Whereas now it's going to be a bit muddied by, well, if Verstappen's quickest on Friday, but then someone else, like I say, Bottas wins the sprint race and he gets the pole, he gets that pole, but Bax was quicker in qualifying. That I think that's, that, that's an un, it doesn't make any difference to the on-track action. Just keep the history books to Q1, Q2, Q3 and do what you like with the sprint race. So yeah, I don't know why they've they've muddied that water. And obviously, if it's only three races, it's not a huge deal. But if this sprint qualifying idea becomes popular and they decide to say use it for half the races in the season in future, that it's just going to be another F one stat that becomes utterly meaningless. Really, I agree hundred percent, Kevin. As far as I'm concerned, it, it's a mockery of taking pole position. Pole position is 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 for qualifying. Um, it's when you pump the fuel out, you put your qualifying tires on and the fastest car stroke um, driver combination. But when you talk about records, you know, um, we're talking now about drivers that are doing 21, 23 Grand Prix a year versus when Sterling and people did eight races a year. Uh, we're talking about now points, you know, who's got the most points. You know, when I, when I was racing, it was top six, now it's top 10. You know, I would have got another 100 bloody points or something. So stats to me are irrelevant except the two big ones and that's pole position and race wins and although i'm going against what i've just said 
Um, pole position for me means so much. When you saw Senna go out there and get pole position, it meant something to me because he was the quickest car driver combination out there. Why they've changed that now from pure what's going to be qualifying um, to the sprint race um, final positions for me is is I, I just don't understand it. I really don't. I, I think they've done it really just because they they're trying desperately to make this qualifying race just qualifying. It's not a race because we don't want to detract from the Grand Prix, but I think they really need to give the fans and all of us a bit of credit. Really, you know, we know that it's not the Grand Prix. It's different enough. It is. You know, they don't want us to call it the qualifying sprint race. They just want to call it sprint qual. It, it's a race. You've sold it as being an extra race at the weekend to to kind of make something more for the fans, which is good. But then don't kind of backtrack and go, oh, no, we don't want it to detract from the Grand Prix. Just go, It won't. The Grand Prix will still be on the Sunday, full-length Grand Prix. I mean, I'd have gone the whole hog, actually. I'd have had the qualifying on the Friday. That's pole position uh, in terms of you know, the record books, if you like. And then you could do something like karting, have two short heats, draw it from a hat if you qualify if you draw first for one heat you draw your 20th for the other heat and then you take the average you take the average from the two results and form the grid then you've got a really mixed up grid two exciting races and you know i think that's something that i'd 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 be interested in trying as well but at least it's a step in the right direction don't treat us like sheep we we understand motor racing the you know 95 percent of the fans that go to silverstone this weekend and 95 percent of the fans that watch it on on sky or whatever understand that this is a race this is a um, a sprint race it won't detract from sunday at all all it will do hopefully is give more excitement for everybody because they're going to see another start another first lap um going into all the different corners and we know the first lap is normally the best lap so um, I think probably there's a few bosses from either the FIA or Formula One that are frightened to call it a sprint race. And, um, and that's politics, and I can't be bothered with all that. <laughs> well, that, that, uh, that first uh, sprint qualifying race will be, I think it's 5pm on Saturday, which is a bit later than the normal qualifying session, which, of course, is totally different, shifted back to, uh, to Friday evening for this weekend. Um, but Kev, coming back to you, we've taken a bit of a, a different approach to our British Grand Prix preview edition for this year's magazine. Um, so one, I thought, why don't you just explain to the listeners uh, what we've done and why? Well, yeah, back in the old days, the the preview would be um, you'd have different entry sometimes to the British Grand Prix, different extra cars and all that sort of stuff. Well, the F1 has long since become very established in terms of you know the lineup, um, but it just seemed quite an obvious thing to do. You know, we've got three, I, I think, and we'll get onto this in a minute with Derek. I think we've got three brilliant British talents in F1 at the moment, and they've all got really interesting storylines this year as well. We've got Lewis has got a, a championship fight on his hands for the first time for a few years, and from Max, the guy that we've been waiting to get into that position for for a few years now. Um, also got Lando having. I think so far is, is yeah is his best season, um, and arguably he's been the best driver of the year. He's made fewer mistakes than Max or Lewis, I'd say. And then of course we've got George, who the next time he rocks up at Silverstone, we're all expecting him to be in a Mercedes, right? So they've got that that storyline as well. So just yeah, it seemed a great a great opportunity. Yeah, the, the fans are back to Silverstone to see three three British F1 stars, um, and so yeah, we, we we decide to talk to them, hear from them, and, and look at their season so far. 
We certainly have. Well, I thought we'd uh, we'd follow the same format in this podcast as we do in the magazine. We'll go through it in the drivers, obviously, as it's arranged in championship order. Although, even though Lewis Hamilton isn't leading the standings this time, that he still means he is ahead of obviously Lando Norris and George Russell. Um, I looked up the stats for the feature and this section of it in particular, and this is the first time since 2018, which is actually sooner than I thought, that Lewis arrives not leading the championship. Back then, Sebastian Vettel leading for Ferrari, but only by one point. Whereas now, it's a big deficit he's facing to Max Verstappen and Red Bull. Lots of pressure on Mercedes this weekend because it's been previously so successful at Silverstone it is bringing its sort of final updates to the W12 so it's going to be lots of lots of intrigue to see how it's going particularly compared to uh, the Red Bull's utterly dominant pace in two races at Austria so rather simple first question uh, Derek can Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes win this weekend well we know they're coming with a lot of upgrades um, we know that that Silverstone kind of um, suits the, the Mercedes engine and Lewis to a certain extent, because we know if you can raise your game any more than what Lewis does, he seems to at the British Grand Prix. Uh, we've got 140,000 people there, so he's got uh, he's definitely got the engine behind him in terms of fans. He needs to win this one, because this will put him back into the driving seat as to where we go from here. But uh, it seems to me that Honda and Red Bull have found a combination power uh, that um, can really uh, compete with the Mercedes at any track. So I'm kind of interested um, on Friday stroke, Saturday stroke, Sunday, as to whether or not uh, Mercedes have made a step forward that we hope they have made, or I hope they have made, um, but also whether or not um, Red Bull are as competitive on these sort of circuits as I think they will be. I think that they're going to surprise a few people. They're not going to be a second behind. You know, they could be half a second in front. We know that Red Bull's got the best chassis out there. We know that the Honda engine has made a massive um, difference to the car. Uh, we can see that with, um, with the Alpha Tauri. You know, that's not by coincidence that that car is competitive. Um, but, you know, really, we also know that, that, that Tot and the people at, um, at Mercedes are unbelievable. They can always pull something out of the fire. Um, and I really hope, believe that they will be super competitive this weekend. But I'm sorry, but Max is on a really good streak at the moment. He's arguably one of the best drivers out there along with Lewis. He's got a good team. He's got a good a chassis. Um, he's got a good engine. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's normally we can say at this point, oh, don't worry, you know, Lewis and Mercedes will, will pull it through and they're going to be amazing and uh, they're going to blow Red Bull into the weeds. I can't say that today. I really can't. I've I've got a similar feeling, which I know disappoints Kev because you're uh, you're very hopeful for for a Lewis win purely for the point of keeping things interesting at the front of the Formula One field. Um, but I think the Red Bull performance, particularly at Paul Ricard, should be a real eye opener for anybody expecting a Mercedes walkover because that was that was they were utterly dominant there. They led every lap since it returned to the calendar. It's not a million miles away from Silverstone in terms of you know the the the, the, the reasons you need to be fast there. So I think yeah, that's that should be a bit alarming if you're a Mercedes fan sort of thing but if the updates make a big difference potentially things could be a level lot closer and it would have been a pretty close race I think if, uh, if even if Max hadn't gone driven off at the first corner so there we go um, but Kev I mean how are you how are you viewing this for Lewis and Mercedes is it is it too extreme to say that you know this, is this his last chance to save his season is that is that too an extreme position to take 
I think that's probably a bit strong because you never know quite what's going to happen. Um, but I mean, if you 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 talked about 2018 um, when Vettel and Ferrari arrived and they were ahead and they looked really competitive that first half of the season, but I think the main there are two key differences between then and now. I think Ferrari were much more flaky than Red Bull are. We've seen Red Bull over the last few years, even when they've started badly, their development curve during the course of the season has been really impressive. So we know that Red Bull is stronger than Ferrari on that score. And without wanting to be too harsh about Sebastian Vettel, I think that we we saw Hamilton had the better of him. Anytime there's a 50-50 wheel-to-wheel moment, if it rained, you know, Max isn't going to fall off at the German, leading the German Grand Prix as he like Vettel did. You know, he's not going to make it that easy for Hamilton. You know, you can maximise your own machinery, but if it's not as quick as someone else's, they still need to mess up in some way. And Ferrari and Vettel messed up enough that Hamilton's maximising actually pulled him clear and he won the championship quite easily in the end. I just don't think that Verstappen and Red Bull are going to give as many opportunities. So we need, like from a, it, put, putting the British thing to one side, from a neutral point of view, if you want a championship fight, we need Mercedes upgrades. I think they'll be better at Silverstone anyway than they were at Austria. They, they've had a pretty dodgy history at, at Austria. But I hope the upgrades will perhaps just edge them a little bit ahead or at least on par with the Red Bull so that we can have a, a good old fight between yeah, between the two of them. Um, what I think is interesting is how the two teams are also balancing their development uh, against against 2022. Yeah, you, know, you get the impression that Red Bull are just going after this one. They're determined to beat Mercedes before the end of this rule, this rule set. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Well, Lewis Hamilton heads back to the British Grand Prix where he is the most successful driver. Seven victories um, is, the, is the current record. He'll be looking to extend that. Um, Derek, why do you think he goes so well here? I mean, is it something about the particular layout that se- seems to suit him particularly well? Or is the home support factor, is that is that just an undeniable thing that helps him? I think it's a combination of all of them. Um, this is a driver's circuit. Don't, don't misunderstand Silverstone. When you go through Abbey, Copse, Stowe and obviously Beckett's, this is a driver's circuit. This is a total commitment. Uh, that's not to say that these guys are not committed everywhere they go, um, but this is another level. This is a Suzuka. This is, this is something really, really special. Let's not beat about the bush. The Mercedes had the monopoly on engine power, chassis, driver, the whole thing. Um, so, you know, it all played into Lewis's hands. Um, uh, so I think that that's the reason why he's been always so good here. The fans do help. I mean, I've always said to me, uh, to myself, you know, why, why do I feel that I always find another two tenths um, at Silverstone? Is it because of the, the crowd? Is it because you're at the home Grand Prix? And then that embarrasses me because that means I'm two tenths off everywhere else. So um, I, I really don't buy into that two tenths thing. Um, I think everybody's happier. We're, I used to love the British Grand Prix just because my family were there, my fans were there, everybody clapped and applauded and I just felt great. Did that make me two tenths quicker? Actually, I don't think it did because I'd like to think I was the same everywhere. Um, But I've also heard a lot of people say, well, we need Max to break down um, at Silverstone to to bring it on a level playing field. I, I don't buy into that either because I want to see Mercedes competitive so to give a race to the end of the season, I don't need I don't need lockups at Baku or a tire failure at Baku to decide a championship. I want the championship decided by who's fastest, who's quickest, who races best. And you're not going to have two better um, Grand Prix drivers than Max and Lewis at the minute. You know this is lighting uh, Lewis's fire. 
you don't need to light Max's fire. You know, his is already his has been lit for the last three years. Um, so um, I think I think Lewis will be brilliant here. I think the Mercedes will be very good. Like Kevin said, I think it will be a slightly more competitive in relation to the Red Bull. But like you said, Alex, I think I think the Red Bull will not be slow here, and I think it will be. I think it will give Lewis and Mercedes a run for its money. I totally agree with all that. And I would just add that obviously Silverstone, we, we, over the years, we've had a bit of rain and Lewis is brilliant in the rain. I think two or three of his British Grand Prix wins have been rain affected. Um, but that's another, that's another thing that he doesn't have over Verstappen that he had over Vettel. You know, you knew when it rained, like hung, Hungary in 2018, Ferrari were going to win. It rained in qualifying, bang, Hamilton on pole controls the way, controls the race. Um, Whereas for Stappen, we know he's also brilliant in the wet. So you can't just go, oh, well, it rains. This will be Lewis weather. Okay. Last year, I think Hamilton won the Turkish Grand Prix. Like, he won that race and, and Max and Max Lewis lost it, if you like. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's it's even Stevens pretty much across the board between the two drivers. So um, I, I completely agree with Derek. We don't want to see reliability coming into it and deciding it. That's um, very unsatisfying, Spe- especially in the modern context when cars are so reliable anyway. Uh, first of all, you're obviously not a Vettel fan. Um, that's very obvious. Um, <laughs> um, but you are right. Max is unbelievable in the wet, as is Lewis. We know that. Um, but you mentioned Turkey there. Nobody, and I include Max in this, would have won that Grand Prix in that car. Agreed. That, did. that was extraordinary. I, I don't think he got half the credit he deserved. It was how he, how he, I still look back now and watch the race again, and I just have no idea. So we know that Lewis is um, at that level um, in terms of that. But if it's wet on, on Sunday, I, I think we're talking about the same situation. It'd be... Uh, Red Bull versus Mercedes, uh, Max versus, and Max don't make mistakes. You know, he, okay, he's made a few as Alec, as as Lewis has, but at the end of the day, you know, they are the best two drivers out there, wet or dry, um, and it's going to be a magic race, no matter uh, uh, who wins. Indeed, indeed. Well, let's let's move on to our next driver that we looked at in this feature package. And it's, it's, it's actually had a good moment in our conversation, Derek, from what you've just said about Lewis and, and Max being the best too. Because my next question regarding Lando Norris, um, it sort of comes back to what Kev said right at the very beginning. There's a case to be made that he has performed the best of any driver in the field in 2021. So, Derek, maybe we'll, we'll come back to you. What, what do you think? What have you made of Lando so far this season? And, and how do you compare him based on current form compared to what Lewis and Max are doing? I, I'm a massive Lando fan. Uh, when he came to um, the McLaren also be OC Young Driver of the Year, he was just spellbinding. Um, his, his time in the F2, um, in the DTM, uh, when he was 1.2 seconds quicker than uh, the factory works driver, uh, we knew that we had somebody special on our hands. Um, he's proved that ever since. He's got stronger and stronger. This season has been absolutely awesome. Um, as he being driver of the season, it's difficult to say that in front of Max, um, but for sure in the car he's got and the person that sat beside him with, with Daniel, um, I mean, I just, I'm lost for words for him because um, he's extraordinary. Um, his, his, his pace has been extraordinary. His driving has been extraordinary. His, his passing of cars, his ability to keep the tyres underneath him, um, his speed in the race is just I mean, the way he passed Lewis and probably would have done 
um, uh, Valtteri, if it hadn't been for some stupid steward um, that gave him a five-second penalty. He's got everything. He's got the looks. He's got the charm. He's got the personality. He's got the speed. He's got the ability. And let me tell you something. He will get better from here. He will get better and better and better. We're talking about um, the next world champion. We're talking about somebody that will take the British interest um, further and further over the next five, ten years. I am so excited um, about Lando Norris. Um, he's just a special, special kid. It was quite a funny moment um, after the podium in um, in Austria um, because obviously I gave him, the, or we gave him, sorry, the, the five-second penalty. Um, he came off the podium and he came to the steward's room, um, which was next to the podium, and it was really nice. He looked at me, gave me a little bit of a dirty look, gave me a fist pump. Um, and as he pulled the fist pump away, he gave me the finger. Um, so um, he knows exactly where he is. I don't know anybody that could get into a car against Daniel Ricciardo and quite perform uh, the way that Lando has. So you're talking to the converted. I think he's the greatest thing um, since Lewis in terms of British drivers. But I'll just hold that thought for a question you're going to give me in a minute. <laughs> uh, before you ask that question, I'll just jump in on Lando as well, if that's all right. Um, I mean, I, 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 there are two things that have pleased me about this year um, regarding um, you know, that Lando Norris and McLaren. One is that McLaren have continued their move forward, um, which I think is really good, ahead of 2022, and then there's the rules reset. I think there's a real belief now that actually – instead of this theoretical, we can fight Mercedes and Red Bull, actually, maybe they can, you know, that he was, you know, he stayed ahead of Lewis for 19 laps in Austria. And, and I don't think Lewis was just sitting there going, yeah, I'm happy for Max to go down the road while I follow McLaren. I don't think that was the case. So I think that's been really encouraging. Um, and the other is, is to echo what Derek was saying. I, I'm a big fan of Danny Ricciardo. I think he's, he's a really, really strong racing driver. And I, I was a bit concerned for Lando that Ricardo would come in and, and, and maybe unseat, unseat him, unsettle him a little bit. But actually, I think he's enhanced Lando's reputation because he's so far, he's blown Daniel, uh, you know, he's blown him away, lapped him at Monaco. I think, to be fair to Ricardo, we're not seeing him at his best. Clearly, he's not quite comfortable in the car yet. He's giving away a bit of time. All these guys are within minuscule mounts normally if they're optimum of the car and he's not there yet but fair play to Lando he's punishing him every single time um, and I think it's been really impressive and in terms of you know we were talking about best drives of 2021 you know Lewis Lewis has made two big errors one at Imola one at well perhaps the backy one wasn't big but it had big consequences Max has had a few running off the track at, at, at difficult moments, trying to take the lead at Bahrain, messed up in qualifying in Portugal and had a had a moment ahead of Lewis there. So small mistakes. Um, but I, the only one that I think Lando's made this year that I can immediately think of is his, his track limits at, uh, at Imola. I think otherwise he's been pretty much putting that car absolutely as high as it can go. Well, Derek, is the, is the question, are we allowed to ask you about that decision to give him a penalty in Austria and, and what happened there? What, what was the, the sort of case for, for, for him getting that five-second penalty? It's difficult because we as stewards, uh, we've got two things to, to look at. What looks right, what feels right, what's in the heart, what's in the stomach, etc., etc., and the rules. You probably didn't realise, but we took probably 15, 20 laps before we made our decision on, on Lando. Um, because we were, we were not fighting, but we were discussing, trying to analyse 
um, look at um, other incidents that happened at that corner, like uh, Lewis and Albon a uh, year before or 19, whenever it was. We had to be consistent. These drivers are telling us to be consistent. The drivers are telling us what they want and what they don't want. If they want to be able to be pushed off on the exit of a corner, tell us and we will um, make sure that that happens. But, you know, we, we, we only, we only uh, uh, the, the decisions we make are driven by what the rules tell us um, and what the drivers want. You know, we listen to the drivers um, and we, we ask them, you know, about moving under braking or, or, or that sort of stuff. We, we, we then give penalties deciding on, on whether we think that's dangerous or not. Personally, I don't like drivers pushing cars off on the exit when they're beside them. But it is motor racing. I've done it a hundred times in my career. Um, it's been allowed. It's allowed to happen. All I want to know as a steward is what do you want? Tell me what you want. Not, not the fans. Let the drivers tell us what they want and we'll implement it for the next race. You know, we can, we can only get driven by what they want. Otherwise, we have to take our own decision on what we think is right and wrong. Was Lando's move wrong? No. Was he defending his position? Yes. Was Chaco at one stage in front of him going into the corner? Yes. Was he beside him uh, mid-corner exit? Yes. So should he be allowed to turn uh, to push him off? Honestly, I'll let you guys debate that without me. But um, it's a decision that fell really hard on me, to be fair. Um, I've had a lot of stick on, on social media, uh, which doesn't bother me. You know, it's, it's a job that I've decided I want to do. It's something I'm trying to give back to motorsport. Um, and at the end of the day, um, it's, it's history. I'm expecting um, to get booed at Silverstone. I'm not really looking forward to Silverstone, but uh, because Lando has got an amazing following now. That's the other thing we haven't spoke about. His, his, um, his uh, personality and his commitment to, to, to motorsport and the, the way he is, the fans have loved him. If I look around the garage here, um, everybody's talking about George and Lando, you know, so um, it's exciting, very exciting. I would also like to jump in for Derek slightly here because the, one of the criticisms I really dislike about it is the whole, oh, you know, need to be consistent. But, you know, Derek well knows from his time driving, every single moment and incident is slightly different. So you can't say, oh, well, you know, you know Lewis got a penalty for hitting Albon last year. So, uh, you know, another incident that's similar should, you know, it's all down to real, really small nuances how how alongside is the car on the outside when they're turning in? Has the person on the inside made an effort to try and tighten their line or have they just let the wheel deliberately run out and, and run the car off the road? You know, there are all sorts of minuscule nuances that I think um, that, that, that mean that consistency argument is a bit, is, is almost impossible. You're, you're sort of hiding to nothing really. But I think- it's, a, it's, a, it's a good point actually, Kevin, because... Everybody says to me, uh, when he kept his steering wheel straight, he didn't turn into Chaco. No, he didn't. But you don't know what he, what, what he was actually doing inside the car. You know, was he releasing the right arm uh, to the left arm or, or, or whatever? I mean, I've done them all. I, I, I know all the tricks, you know. You tell us what we want and we will implement it. But um, it's really difficult. Um, I want drivers to race. I don't want to spoil racing. And I'm not out there to be a policeman. I'm out there just to uh, be as fair as I can. Yeah, I mean, also let's let's remember why this this sort of thing came about. You know, as circuits and cars have got safer, 
drivers have taken more and more liberties. And I think Ayrton Senna and Marcus Schumacher were the two prime examples of that. And it got it got out of hand, you know, the shoey chop, the running people off the road, the moving under, you know, something had to be done. In fact, I think one of your first stewarding jobs, Derek, was at the uh, 2010 Hungary, where, you know, let's face it, Schumacher could have killed Rubens Barrichello and several people in the pit lane. That was an absolutely outrageous move at Hungaroring that year. Uh, and we don't see things like that anymore. So, yes, we can argue about whether it should have been a penalty or whether it shouldn't have been a penalty. But I'd say the driving standards and the way the top drives in particular handle each other these days is a darn sight better than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And that hasn't happened by accident. And, and just a shout out for the stewards, um, uh, because when I, when I went to Hungary in 2010, um, the quality of, of stewards was pretty poor. Now, they're all, a lot of them have come from rally or uh, there for the wrong reasons or whatever. Um, and when I, when, when I said um, in Hungary, um, put the black flag out, disqualify uh, Michael, um, you know, the, 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 the thought in the room was, oh, no, the, the president wouldn't like that. Um, whereas now we're a professional body of people. We're controlled by four chairmen that go to, um, obviously, a quarter of the races each. Um, we've got Michael Massey that, that, that is really fair and honest and he understands what motor racing is about. So the quality inside that steward's room, and I'll take myself um, away from this at the minute, the quality inside that steward room um, is as good as you're going to get. You know, they're, they're professional people that are not biased in any way. You know, I, I'm, I'm just as likely to give a British driver, as we've been discussing now, um, a penalty as I am um, a Brazilian driver. So... Um, that's how honest we try to be in the steward's room. Going back to something you mentioned earlier about Lando, Derek, about his personality and his following and, and just the way he conducts himself as a Formula One driver. I mean, as you say, he's won himself a lot of praise, a lot of fans, a lot of credit. He brings it's quite a breath of fresh air sometimes in, in the different perspectives. The things that he was doing throughout the first COVID lockdown, things like that were, were really heartwarming to see. But what was really interesting was, you know, I asked him, I think it was the Syrian Grand Prix. Does he feel like he's driving better than he did in 2020? He says 100% I am, definitely. And the reason why he says he's, he's consistent, he's, he's, he's reached the, the peak levels that he was last year but he's able to do that more often he's not having the the drops that he was having last year and it was interesting there was then a follow-up question about why his relationship with Daniel Ricciardo doesn't seem quite so matey as it was with Carlos Sainz Jr and in his answer he gave a really revealing revealing little snippet where he said well basically I'm spending more time with my engineers and I'm having less fun so what what do you make of that sort of response are we seeing is that is that is it too simple to say it's just a young man maturing and growing up or is it just like oh okay I've I've spotted a little weakness in my game maybe that's something I need to focus on 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 fixing exactly that I think he came into Formula 1 he was finding his feet um, he was lucky he had a great teammate with Carlos um, he he sort of uh, played the big joker um, in the paddock uh, which came across really well um, he's still doing that by the way but in a different way more professional way and he said over the winter that he needs to change the way he goes motor racing um, and because he needs to be able to up his game. Um, and, hey, that's exactly what he's done. He's upped his game. Um, he's not as pelly with, with Daniel, and nobody cannot be pelly with, uh, with Daniel. So um, I don't know that he's not having more fun. I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to ask him that same question, actually, um, because he looks to me like he's really enjoying it. You know, he's the first guy that you will see – um, on breakdown um, after the race, there's underneath the car 
undoing undoing the floor with, with with a spanner. He's helping them dismantle the cars after the race. He's he enjoys being with his mechanics. He's taking pictures all over the place, upside down and all sort of stuff. Now this guy's having fun. He's having fun, but also um, uh, pushing the limits of um, and still trying to find the limits. I, and that's why I said earlier on that I don't think we've seen the best of Lando Norris. I think he will grow. I often have a, a, an argument with a good friend that Kevin and I know um, in Titchmarsh. I often talk about 110%. Um, and he goes crazy because obviously he can't get 110%. But these guys somehow can find that extra percentage that us mere mortals can only talk about. And Kev, what did you make of uh, Lando's performance last time out? Obviously, it's, it's, it's quite, uh, you know, he, he was he did so well in the Styrian Grand Prix to finish fifth. Then, you know, a week down the line, all the teams have been able to make little improvements. The drivers know how what they're going to do better because that sort of unique repeat event format that the Red Bull Ring has this year. He then battles the Mercedes on merit, as he said himself, as we as we wrote for our uh, race support. You and I had a discussion about how we were how best to cover a race that Max Verstappen had basically been in another race of. Let's face it, by only the way he won. So, what did you make of Lando there? W- would you say it was a, a a particular breakthrough race there, or was that maybe more to do with McLaren rather than rather than the driver? Well, I think he's been performing at such a high level that it means that if you're consistently there maximising what you've got, when Mercedes or Red Bull, whoever it is, has a little bit of a wobble for whatever reason, then you're there to pick up on it. And he put himself in a place where none of the sort of traditional midfield runners could be. I think what was important about it from his own development is that, like, like he said afterwards, um, you know, he can see that Lewis is human. You know, he's, obviously Lewis praised him over the radio, which is nice. But he said, uh, yeah, but I could see he was making mistakes. And it's just that realisation that the front runners are human as well. And if he's got the right kit and he's pushing himself, why can't he win a Grand Prix and fight for world championships? You know, the, so, uh, you know, it just adds to your own self-belief, I think. Um, and, you know, Lando's on a bit of a roll now. And I think that perhaps before that race, we thought that he could run at the front. And now I think we know, just like the Sakia Grand Prix for George Russell last year, we now know that he can run at the front of the Grand Prix and it's not a big drama. So, yeah, I think it was an impressive race, but I think I agree with Derek. I think it's just part of Lando's move towards becoming a consistent uh, front runner in Formula One. It's funny, you know, when you race against people like Senna and Lewis and people like that, you treat them differently. You, you give them that extra bit of room to pass and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden you realise he does make mistakes. He keeps on running off the road. He did break the rear tunnel, whatever he broke the arrow. Um, so that gives you the confidence to know that you're every bit as good as them because you know in yourself that you make the odd mistake here and there, because we all, we all do every single lap. When you're pushing pushing at 110%, um, you know exactly you know exactly that's uh, that's possible. So yeah, I think that's very interesting that that he acknowledged the fact that Lewis is is human. He's a special human, but he's still human. Indeed, it was a, it was a very uh, revealing response from Lennon Norris when I asked about that in the in the press conference. But uh, guys, before we continue on to talk about George Russell, we have to say a massive thanks to today's Autosport podcast sponsor for helping bring the show to our listeners. Formula One and money go hand in hand. It's a high tech business after all. And our friends at Free Trade want to remind you about the importance of growing wealth over the long term. If you're new to investing yourself, don't be put off by thinking it's complicated. You can start easily with Free Trade. Free Trade is on a mission to break down these barriers and open up stock investing to people like you and I. There's no commission to trade so you can keep more of what you make. And you can join 700,000 other investors using their award-winning app, which is super easy to use. 
They're UK regulated and cover stocks, ETFs and investment trusts. And you don't have to have the kind of contract an F1 driver might attract to afford it. You can jump on the app from just £2. Go to freetrade.io slash autosport and get a randomly allocated share worth between £3 and £200 for companies such as Greg's, Rightmove or Apple when you register and fund your account. Remember when you invest, your capital is at risk and other charges may apply. Remember to use our URL so they know you've heard about free trade here. And once again, that's freetrade.io slash autosport for more details. Guys, let's come back to the third British driver. He's, he's, he's last in the order for purely championship positional reasonings and nothing else. And it's George Russell. And Derek, you know, how fantastic is it from your point of view? And I know, Kev, we've spoken about this before, about seeing these drivers that have come up through both winners of the BRDC Autosport Awards, Young Driver Awards. How happy are you to see them shining on the highest level in Formula One, having shown all those promise not all that many years ago, really? For me, it's easy. Um, we've had some great drivers come through um, our Young Driver programme. Uh, Dan Dictum, um, Oliver Rowland, um, Jake Dennis, all those sort of guys, really top level, uh, really top level. But when you talk about George Russell and Lando Norris, they were extraordinary. They weren't just brilliant, they were extraordinary. Um, and everybody's talking about Lando at the minute, and so they should do because the guy's incredible. But so is George. Let me tell you, we're in for a real surprise. We're in for a feast next year. Um, if McLaren carries on this development that they're on at the minute um, and George gets that uh, Mercedes seat, good luck, Lewis, because he's going to have a fight on his hands because I think of George on the, exactly the same level as Lando. Um, he's got a good personality. He's very professional. He understands what's needed. He pushes when the right time is, he needs to push. Um, and what he's done with that Williams is just extraordinary. Now, people say, oh, well, he's always had average teammates. You can only beat your teammate. And let me tell you, there's no poor teammate out there. They're, they're all great drivers. That 20 drivers, including two people that we can think of at the minute, um, are great drivers. It's just that um, George and Lando and people like that are extraordinary. George Russell will, will be extraordinary next year. He's, he's, he's every bit, if not better, than Lando. I really believe that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, are you going to can compare them in terms of their future world champion potential? I guess it's fairly clear they're on a fairly even keel of, yeah, they, they can definitely get there. We're in an extraordinary situation where we have arguably one of the greatest drivers in Formula One history with Lewis Hamilton. We all believe that. I believe that. I want him actually to win the eighth world championship because I think he deserves it in front of Michael. Um, I really think he deserves it. He's a He's a much cleaner, uh, more respected driver in many, many ways. Good to have the competition from Max, as we've been talking about. These two young drivers, George um, and Lando, are going to be absolutely perfectly poised to take over from um, Lewis and people like that. I was going to say Max, but of course, they're the same age as bloody Max. You know, Max... Um, Max is only, I think, 23 at, at now. I think he turns 24 in November or something. So, um, no, I think um, I'm excited for the BIDC. I'm excited for Silverstone. I'm excited for the British fans, Autosport and everybody, because these guys are, um, these are our money trees. They're, these are the people that, that we're going to draw 140,000 people back next year because they're going to see two great British drivers, hopefully, um, in the Mercedes. Um, but the question you asked me is, 
is George um, on level terms with Lando? 110%. (laughs) Good stuff. Ian Titchmarsh is on the line. Hang on. (laughs) Where is Titch? (laughs) Well, Kev, coming to you, I mean, I think we're both expecting it might be a slightly more tricky weekend for Russell and Williams um, just because of the nature of the Silverstone circuit. They're obviously both, you know, it worked tremendously well in Austria, but the team admitting, you know, it was calmer settings. There wasn't much wind, which they know is a real problem for the car. They did very well in Austria last year when it was, you know, underdeveloped and, and, and coming back towards the midfield. But yeah, Silverstone, that airfield setting, they have made some updates. They're both saying, right, this is the real key test for Williams this season. But I still think he'll start in qualifying. He's got that Q1 record uh, to, to keep up. Obviously, he's now got a, a Q3 record to chase to try and get Williams in there for a second race in a row. So, yeah, well, how do you see Russell and Williams getting on this weekend? I really want to believe that it could be the place where he gets his point because that would just be sort of just poetic, wouldn't it, really? But well, I think, uh, what, what, if, what if he finishes in the top 10 in the sprint race? Doesn't get, finishes 10th, doesn't get a point. Still doesn't get a point, does he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. It would be great if he did it. And I think uh, we've, we've talked about in previous podcasts, if George gets to the end of the year and he's maximised the car and not got a point, I don't think that, that shouldn't be used against him. You know, if the car's not capable of it, it's not capable of it. Um, but they do look like they've made progress. You know, they were pretty unlucky in Austria um, in, in both races for different reasons. They probably could, should, would have got a point there, you know. Who wants Fernando Alonso to be the guy cruising up behind you when you've got? I mean, just the only person probably worse than that would be Max. Um, you know, you just know that Fernando is going to find a way past you. Uh, but I don't think Silverstone will probably suit the Williams enough. I think if 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 George can get into Q two and as Derek says, maybe make some waves and take some risks in the sprint qualifying, it could be interesting. But ultimately, unless there's a downpour, some kind of crazy wet weather race. Uh, or there's, you know, some some carnage up front, which doesn't happen very often these days, does it? Um, I, I just can't see the Williams being good enough to get him into the points this weekend, I'm afraid. Um, it might happen elsewhere. There are other tracks that I think the Williams will be better at this year. Um, but yeah, George has George got to do what we were saying about Lando. Maximise it every week, and then when the other people drop the ball, that's when they're going to get their point. And Derek, what did you make of George's performance uh, in the Austrian Grand Prix? Because as Kev, as Kev references, had that, amazing battle with Fernando Alonso just desperately trying to hang on to 10th place right at the end but he was also in not trouble with the stewards but he got a warning for his defence against uh, Kimi Kimi Räikkönen when the Alfa Romeo uh, came up behind him later on then obviously get, uh, Kimi drove into Sebastian Vettel and that was a whole different kettle of fish but yeah what did you make of George's performance and, and also his his driving in those key pressure moments against against two world champions I agree with Kevin only Fernando would have passed him probably um, and even, even Fernando apologised to George after the race for taking that single point away from him. And it didn't bother him, though he still obviously overtook him. Um, I, I just think it was phenomenal, you know, that we know the car's not the best out there. Um, he keeps pushing hard. Um, it, it was quite interesting because we brought him to the stewards' room after the race with Fernando um, about moving under braking. And he very elegantly put his point of view across as to why it wasn't moving under braking. Point being there is, you know, he understands, he remembers every single millimetre of the track. He understood it was in turn four and not turn five and he should have done it in turn one and et cetera, et cetera. Um, his performance is, I, I think, just up there with, with Lando, um, but in a different car. It goes to show, you know, we all the fans are talking about Lando at the minute, but um, I think George in Austria was 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 incredible. 
Um, I think everybody uh, was disappointed he didn't get that last point. He does deserve a point. I hope he gets a point um, this year, at least one point. Um, but who cares? You know, we're going to see a guy that's going to win races next year. We're seeing a guy that I'm not sure he can fight for the championship because that's experience. And, you know, when you're up against uh, Lewis Hamilton, you have to say that he will have the upper hand on experience. But in Austria, he was unbelievable. Um, and, and we both know, well, we all know, um, that he will one day become a Grand Prix winner. I thought it was interesting that there were um, Helmut Marco comments uh, recently that basically they, they'd, they'd swoop and sign George if they got the chance. But his quotes are very much, but we know he's basically driving a Mercedes next year. So that's the worst kept secret, isn't it? Um, which um, obviously puts Valtteri Bottas in an interesting position if team orders come up uh, later on in the season. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, if we've got Russell and Hamilton in Mercedes next year, Max in a Red Bull, if Ferrari can you know, sort themselves out and give Leclerc something proper to fight with, uh, and McLaren continue their momentum, then um, uh, I mean, that, that'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Hamilton's been holding back the next generation uh, with his performances and Mercedes level, but they've kind of, they're really knocking on the door hard now. And I quite like the fact that he's going to hang around for two more years just to see if he can fight off the youth a little bit longer. We underestimate sometimes being Max or uh, Lewis's teammate must be a headache. You know, you go out there, you give a, a hundred and 10% um, and you do the absolute maximum you think right okay beat that and Lewis goes out or Max goes out in Max's case normally four five six tenths quicker um, and you think how where, where how can that happen um, but when you're against the, the greatest driver of this particular um, generation or drivers sorry um, it must be demoralizing and I think we all underestimate just how good uh, Bottas is because to keep his, um, his pecker up um, after so many disappointments, unfortunately, I think he's an he's a unlucky driver, if there's such a thing. I think if, there's, if there is an unlucky driver, he, he grabs that 100% for sure. Um, but he will go to another team, and he will be number one, and he will be unbelievable. It is time to change the order. The young drivers that we've got coming through at the minute um, I think we're all excited to see that that change. I feel a bit sorry for, for Bottas, but hey, I'll get over that very quickly um, if George gets announced, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think Bottas would be an asset to pretty much any other team on the grid, wouldn't he? He's, he is a very high performer. He's within you know, very small margins, certainly in qualifying at least, to Hamilton. He's got all that experience and knowledge from Mercedes. That's going to be put, that should be put to good use in a, in a midfield car, shouldn't it? So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a good point about him being, being unlucky. He does seem to just have the, you know, some people like Michael and Lewis tend to have that lucky thing for them. You know, if they go off, they find the, the escape road to get back on. Bottas, you know, he'd, he'd go over the one spike on the track, wouldn't he? You just feel like there's just always something, you know, the 43 three-hour pit stop or wherever it was. Um, but uh, but he's had a decent run at Mercedes, to be fair. Yeah, he's had a decent run. And if you think about it, um, nobody's even got that close um, at the Red Bull. You know, we've had some pretty good drivers in there as well. So um, that that puts Bottas further up the line for me. Um, but, who, you know, I think... I think the British Grand Prix is going to be amazing this year. Um, going back to where we started all this, I think that that Max and Lewis are going to be fighting all the way to the end of the championship. Um, and I just hope that the Mercedes comes here with something a little bit quicker 
um, that can prove that um, on the track and just on um, speed alone, um, Lewis can win this championship, uh, or sorry, win this race um, and start going towards the championship at the end of the year. Well, Derek, I've just got one sort of final question for you, really, because it's sort of following the following the the flow of the feature throughout the magazine this week. Is I also spoke to Stuart Pringle, the managing director at Silverstone, about how you know he's saying it's going to be feel like 2019, look like 2019, all the fans back, capacity, sellout crowd, obviously strict rules in place in terms of the F1 paddock, the FA, you know, the, the competitors, everybody working at the event will be in a, a you know, that strict bubble that the FIA has created and transports around the world. But in terms of everybody else, the fans attending, it's going to look like it has done over all those previous years. So, I mean, how important, uh, you know, uh, f- from the BRDC's point of view as well, how important is it that that has happened and it, and it is going to go ahead as normal in, in sort of inverted commas for 2021? I'm not sure we could have coped with another um, 20, to be honest, um, financially. Um, it was crippling us. Um, and it's such a shame because Stuart Pringle, um, John Grant, the chairman of the IDC, have worked so bloody hard over this last 10 years to build up uh, what we've got at the BIDC. Um, and for it to be wiped out in one year, i.e. I, last year, is so easy. You know, um, there's 130 people uh, work at Silverstone. There's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, and although we've trimmed that back over the uh, the, the last 12 months, um, we are excited um, that we've got a Grand Prix this year. We're excited that we've got 140,000 people there. Um, Stuart Pringle and his team have done an incredible job. Um, and like you said, the fans won't know. You know, the fact that, that everybody works in their little bubbles um, in, in the, the paddock and on the pit lane, uh, they won't see that. They will just see amazing racing. Um, they're going to experience the sprint race for the first time, so that's another thing. Um, but in terms of the BIDC and Silverstone, this couldn't come at a better time um, to open uh, the gates and allow the fans in. Um, and from what I understand, we could be getting a second um, Silverstone Grand Prix that will also be uh, quite nice as well. Whether that happens, I don't know, but um, there's a lot of races being cancelled, as we all know. Um, so they're going to... I know Formula One has sort of hell-bent on still getting 23 races um, over the line this year. So there's going to have to be another one or two double-ups, I suspect, um, as we saw in Austria. So, um, no, this is great for us. Um, it is really good. The, the, the weather's going to be good. The race is going to be good. We've got a sprint race. That'll bring them all back um, in 22. We've got a new, a new car, a new, new formula uh, next year. We've got exciting new combinations with drivers. Um, it's all plus for me and it's all plus for the fans. And that's really why we've got a sellout um, crowd this year. Well, I know what my uh, first thing to go and investigate first thing on Thursday morning is, the possibility of returning to Silverstone, which to be honest, I've long argued, you know, if, if you do need to double up races, the majority of the teams are here. It's been worked out with the government that the other teams can come in and out, things like that. It's, it, it does make sense if you've got to, if, you know, just for the sake of the calendar, for the sake of keeping things normal, to pack those things in. Um, but Kevin, I'm going to come back to you for our last uh, last point that we always do in these accompaniment uh, podcasts for the magazine. What else should the listeners go and check out in Autosport Magazine this week? Yeah, well, obviously the the British Grand Prix previews are sort of the main thing, but also we had Matt Q covering the Formula E in, in New York, um, which had a British success as well. Sam Bird is also an award finalist, um, pulled a sort of rabbit out of the hat with um, get lots of animals going on there, birds and rabbits and things, uh, to win for win for Jaguar, a big cat. 
Um, so, uh, so yeah, well, um, on a on a perhaps more somber note, we also look back at the life and career of Jeff Krosnoff because it's actually 25 years ago now uh, since he was killed. So um, uh, we spoke to uh, some of the some of the drives and people that that, that knew him, um, and of course, it was a it was another. It's, I seem to say this every week. Uh, another bumper uh, national racing uh, weekend. Uh, they try and avoid the British Grand Prix, so they go either side of it's pretty busy. Um, there was history made. Uh, at uh, the British GT around at Donington Park, and there was some fantastic racing and some machines that Derek would recognise at the uh, at the Super Prix at Brands Hatch as well. So, yeah, lots of other things, hopefully, to, to look at in, uh, in this week's magazine. Kev, Derek, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. That's our podcast uh, all wrapped up. But before we go, here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus. There's my column looking at the political manoeuvring in the work to get the British Grand Prix back to full capacity in 2021. Jonathan Noble has written about Lawrence Stroll and his plans for Aston Martin. And Kev, as you mentioned, uh, Matthew's report on all the Formula E racing that took place in New York last weekend. New Autosport Plus subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use the promo code PODCAST for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today and we'll be back soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.